Welcome to another episode of Financial Planning Explained. I am your host, Mike Menninger, Certified Financial Planner, owner and founder of Menninger & Associates Financial Planning, and I am pleased to have with me uh, two of my junior advisors. I've got my, to my immediate right, Ryan Keefe, and to the further right, Kyle Ryan, who is also a Certified Financial Planner. Um, we're here doing another episode of Questions and Answers. Um, you know, what we have found uh, by popular demand that a lot of people have really liked the episodes where we've done this. Uh, not always does every question uh, apply to you, but hopefully uh, these are commonly asked questions that, that we've brought and thought this would be a great opportunity to do like a panel discussion. And you know, our, our philosophy with our firm as well as with this show is to provide an educational experience for the viewers and also for our clients. So uh, with no further ado, you guys ready to jump right in? Let's do it. All right, let's go. Okay. Is there a standard amount to save in order to retire comfortably? Boy, that's a loaded question. <laughs> We're starting off with that already. <laughs> My goodness. What's standard, right? What's, yeah. what's, the, what's the answer to almost every question that is ever asked of us? It depends. It depends. It depends. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, clearly there are a, a whole litany of different things that you know, to retire comfortably, well, define retirement, you know, and, and, you know, we do financial plans all the time as a routine for our clients. We do financial plans, and particularly when they're focused on retirement income planning, you know, it's not how much assets I have saved, which is important, but what's the most important question that goes with it? How much you're spending? How much, how much yeah. money do you need? And, you know, one of the things that we have found is it's remarkable what the difference between needing $5,000 a month to live and $6,000 a month to live can be. And that sounds like a lot of money, but you'd be surprised, you know, based, think about, you know, what you're spending now, or even 4,000 versus 5,000. You know, it, it, based upon so many different variables, okay? Do you have a pension plan? Uh, do you have social security? Are you or how much is your- Medical bills. Yeah, medical yeah. bills. Yeah. Uh, your, your insurances, you know, are you adequately insured? Are you over 65 where you're not paying for medical insurance? But it all comes back down to what's your cost of living? And, you know, the, the, the most important question we always ask of clients, you know, when we're talking about doing retirement planning is, you know, figure out what your cost of living is going to be. Mm -hmm. And from there, you know, it depends, you know, as to how much you need to save. And then the other question is, is, you know, of your cost of living, how much of it is going to the government? You know, it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. And therefore, it's very important to understand, you know, how much do I need, or how much assets or how much do I have to save is going to be predicated as to which bucket it's in. You know, is it in a bucket that's going to be taxed at retirement? Or is it in a bucket that's not going to be taxed at retirement? And you know, so there's a lot of there's a lot of moving parts, and you know it's a great question to ask, but unfortunately, you know it's it's an unknown. But you know what we generally will recommend to folks is you know identify your cost of living today, and a lot of people will ask usually when they're getting closer to retirement, um, how much do I need to save or do I have enough? Is take a look at your cost of living today, and based on that, you know is it going to go up or down? when you're in retirement, and oftentimes we can back into, do you have enough? And if not, 
then we can back into how much do I want to save. Yeah. And a lot of times I see with clients is when you ask them that all-important question of what do you need to live, what is your cost of living, a lot of times we get the answer, I don't know. Right. And it's a really worthwhile exercise to go through, but a lot of people don't know how to really tackle that project. Uh, one, and I think one of the simplest ways to do it, take a look at your savings account, what it was last year, take a look at what it is today, did it grow or did it decrease? If it decreased, you probably are overspending what you make, and if it grew, you're probably saving. So you can kind of use what you bring home each month as kind of the baseline right. and see whether or not you're, you're actually saving or if yeah, you're dipping into that savings. Exactly. It's a great checks and balance. And you know, one of the things that I've found is if I've asked clients to estimate, you know, it's the hard way and the easy way. The hard way is literally figuring out what your expenses are, and the easy way is what you explained. And when people literally try to come up with, call it a budget, or an estimate of their expenses, what I have found on average, except those people are really on it, on average, people significantly underestimate their cost of living. And, you know, when they, they ask that, they're like, oh, well, you know, I, I need $5,000 a month. And then when we do the exercise that you're talking about, all of a sudden we realize they're spending $7,000 a month. Well, what gives here? You're like, gee, I don't know. That's when it becomes incumbent to uh, then evaluate where your money is going. You also want to understand what your lifestyle is going to be in retirement. You know, you can't spend money when you're working, right? So if you plan on, you know, I want to retire and I want to go on a vacation every year, in which maybe you didn't before, you have to account for lifestyle changes sure. too. You know, Absolutely. are you going to have a part-time job in the meantime? Are you going to, you know, go out and spend frivolously and enjoy your retirement? Well, you have to kind of plan for these things. And that's the thing about retirement. No one has a crystal ball to see in the future. Things change. So. Absolutely. 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 But it is. It's comparing to what's uh, the different or the same as today. And as you pointed out, there are people who say, hey, yeah, I, and a lot of, I, I want to be able to, go on vacation once a year. I want to travel. And in doing so, you got to ramp up those costs. But on the flip side, depending on what your costs are associated with working, there are people who actually have a lot of costs, whether it be yep. clothing or driving expenses. Mm -hmm. Those expenses will go down. They may have college expenses or, you know, mm -hmm. so it's evaluating what your cost of living is today and what adjustments you'll make. And one of the other things that uh, we all apply is the different phases in retirement, mm -hmm. right? And what are they? And the slow, the, the, the go, the, the slow, go, the no. slow, and the no. Right, the go phase, <laughs> the right. slow phase. And, and, and by the way, that makes absolute sense. And you know, let's say, for instance, someone's planning on retiring, at, call it at age 60. Well, you know, what we generally will do with our financial plans is, you know, we'll take 10 years where they're going to be spending, let's say, an extra $20,000 a year. But then the following 10 years when they slow down, you know, it's like, okay, we're not going to be doing all the traveling. You know, maybe it's $10,000 a year. And then once they turn 80, it's the no phase because they're not running around doing all the things that they were doing when they were younger and healthier. And it's actually a, a more accurate and realistic way of predicting people's cost of living in retirement. Absolutely. So good question. But very loaded question. It's a very, very open-ended question, and, and hopefully those are answers that, or at least things to think about. Mm -hmm. What's our next question? <laughs> Another loaded question. Oh, <laughs> i tell you, when should you take Social Security? Um, well, for what it's worth, uh, I had two episodes, a, a part one and a part two, where we talked about Social Security. Yep. 
And you're absolutely correct. It depends. Okay. And, you know, are you married? Are you not married? Um, you know, the, and, and if you are married, you know, who's the higher earner, wage earner? Mm -hmm. And who's older? Who's younger? Uh, are you divorced? Is your ex spouse collecting Social Security? Is your ex spouse deceased? Yeah. How long are do you so plan on working? There's right. How long do you plan on working? Um, in a nutshell, uh, Social Security is an extremely, I want to say complex, convoluted, there's nuances left and right, yeah. okay? Yeah. And, you know, we, we learn it every day. Uh, there are nuances left and right when it comes to Social Security. So it's very important, incumbent, to understand what your circumstances are, what your goals and objectives are. But as a general rule, there are three defined times of Social Security. 62 is when you're first eligible to begin collecting Social Security on yourself. Then you've got full retirement age, which is based upon anywhere between age 65 and 67, based upon when you were born. Okay, if you're born prior to 1954, it's age 66. You're born after 1960, it's age 67. And those years in between are phase in. But, um, and then age 70, and that's the point that your Social Security does not grow anymore and full retirement age is the point with which you can collect your social security and still work and not be penalized yeah. so you know it all depends on you know when should i take it that's a loaded question because it really depends on on your circumstances your, your circumstances your goals and your circumstances so good question but it's an open-ended question that doesn't have a great answer yeah, no other than... No black and white answer. Yeah, it depends. No. It depends. <laughs> yeah, There's it our depends. favorite two answers. <laughs> All right. Next question. What are the ideal investment allocations by age? Um, we talked about that a little bit in our prior episode. Yeah. Right? Um, and that was kind of more of the uh, target retirement yes. mm -hmm. models. Yes. But... I've heard rules of thumb, and I know you hate them. I, there, are, there are rules of thumb for everything. Uh, th there's a current rule of thumb for asset allocation by age where you just take 100 minus your age. Now, if you're 30 years old, you take 100 minus 30, you have a 70% equity or stock portfolio and a 30% right. fixed income or bond portfolio, right? Uh, again, going back to the it depends, it's not always the right case for everyone. Now, let's say you have an investment account, right? And you're saving, a, saving for buying a house in five years, right? Or you're saving for buying a house in 15 years. There's two significant differences in the time horizon. It's, time. it's mm -hmm. always, Absolutely, the single largest time. component of risk. Mm -hmm. If you have a 401k or retirement account, an IRA, Roth, whatever you have, and you're 20 years old, you're not, you shouldn't, you know, it's always situation dependent, but you really don't want to touch that until you're currently 59 and a half so you don't get penalized. Right. You've got 40, 30, 40 years. Right. Mm -hmm. You got time you can afford a little bit of risk. You know, as you get closer toward retirement you, or you get closer toward your need for that money, you readjust your risk allocation to get, become more conservative because you can't afford to take the risk or you don't want to take that risk. Well, that's the other component, okay? Like for me, I'm 39, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I should be 61%. 100 minus yeah. 39 is 61%. <laughs> something like that. But you know, it all comes down to risk tolerance. So that's why the rule of thumb is really poor. I say poor, it's not the right word. It, it's really a rule of thumb. Uh, and you know, my risk tolerance may be substantially greater 
than the next person's risk yep. tolerance. Mm -hmm. That person, you know, I may have a high risk tolerance where if I lose 20% in a three-month period, I'll say, shoot, let me buy more because I want to be aggressive and buy while it's low. Yeah. Meanwhile, there are other people who have very low risk tolerance. They see their account literally go down by 1% in a month and they're hitting a the panic button. Yep. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? Those people shouldn't be in the high risk type of investments. Furthermore, if I was loaded and I had, had a $10 million investment account and 80% stocks means 20% of my investments are safer, which is still $2 million, which still may be more than what I may need as it pertains to time. So it is a good rule of thumb, but we always encourage that you talk to your financial advisor to really talk out what your risk tolerance is and what your goals are and your time horizon. And, and what we've even found is one person can have multiple risk tolerances based upon the goals of each asset. Absolutely. As you indicated, they have an asset that in five years they're looking to buy a house. Well, that's a totally different um, risk tolerance than a Roth. Than a Roth IRA. Mm -hmm. Which grows tax-free. Right. And you know, <laughs> you're 30 more. years old, you were going to buy a house in five years. Well, that's totally different than the Roth IRA, which you're really not going to touch for 30 or exactly. more. Right. So, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Next question. Ooh, this is my one of my guys <laughs> like that. <laughs> what is a tax write-off? Yay. And what are the best or most common write-offs people shouldn't miss? Well, for starters, a tax write-off, we really need to differentiate between individuals, self-employed individuals, and businesses. So it didn't specify. So what is a tax write-off? Well, we'll start off with what is a tax write-off. A tax write-off is where you have an expense that you can deduct against your income. That's simple. Okay. Getting here, using the easy pass, right? Right, absolutely. Easy as that. So, so the common write-off that people think of, the two most common write-offs for individuals are charitable contributions and their home. So when it comes to your home, you can write off the interest on your mortgage. And then you can also write off the taxes that you pay. It could be real estate taxes as well as your um, uh, property income taxes okay. that you pay. Unfortunately, with the 2018 tax law changes, you're capped at $10,000. And then the other typical write-off is charitable contributions. And so for an individual, they're given the choice of writing off against their income, those three things, the mortgage interest, real estate, and taxes up to 10,000, and charitable contributions. Well, if you're married, the federal government gives you a $24,000 standard deduction, and with the tax law changes that occurred in 2018, actually, most people are actually not itemizing. So they took a lot of that away. Charitable contributions the charities were having a problem. It's like, wait a minute, you know, this is impacting us. So they allow you to deduct up to three hundred dollars 
on page one of your tax return. Whoop de doo. You know, if you're contributing way more than that to any whatever your cause is, you know, that's different. Uh, you know, you're, you're losing most of it. But with self-employed, that's different. Okay, and you know, self-employed, you get to write off business expenses. So, I'm a business owner, arguably self-employed. You know, self-employed. I'm going to define it, even though it's not exactly true. But self-employed. Let's assume that I am the only employee. Well, that's where you're right. I'm going to write off every possible expense that I can that's related to business. So if I'm driving to client locations, I get to write off those, uh, the mileage, the, the mileage expenses. If I have marketing expenses. If you're working from home. Oh, that's, that's a careful, that's, that's a red flag. That's a red flag. That's, a red flag. <laughs> that's, a, that's one you have to be careful of. Yep. And, you know, a lot of people uh, used to do that. Yep. And you're allowed to write off your home legitimately. You're allowed to write off your home if your home is your place of business. Or a home office. Or, right. Yeah, it's a little and more. It, it is tricky because what they do is you say if it's 10% of, of your home, then you get to write off 10% of the expenses. But it's a common red flag. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's even going to be more of a red flag with all the people working from home during, during COVID and the pandemic. But... You know, we have an office, okay, and we're paying expenses. We have to pay uh, rent, you have to pay utilities, and what have you, and meals, uh, marketing expenses. Those are all expenses that are legitimate business expenses that are considered a write-off. Now, what happens a lot of times as an individual slash business owner, if you want expenses this year, you may buy something in December that you were planning on buying in, in January. I'll buy it now so I can get the write-off for this year. Okay, that's just some little tricks of the trade that you may do. And then the same goes with businesses. So I'm going to keep the self-employed and business kind of sort of lop them together. Yep. But we're up against break. Um, we'll be back in a few moments as we continue to address these questions. Uh, see you shortly. Have you saved enough for retirement? Are you financially prepared for an emergency or unexpected event? Have you thought about your financial future? Hi, I'm Mike Menninger, founder of Menninger & Associates Financial Planning. For over 20 years, we have been answering our clients' questions just like these as we develop unique and comprehensive financial plans tailored to meet their needs. When addressing your financial plan, we incorporate your entire financial picture, including taxes, estate planning, as well as investment planning and retirement planning. So call us today for a complimentary no obligation consultation. A unique approach to financial planning. Welcome back to Financial Planning Explained. I'm your host, Mike Menninger, Certified Financial Planner, and I'm here with my panelists, two of my advisors on my staff, uh, Ryan Keefe and Kyle Ryan, as we continue going through questions and answers, if you will. Uh, I think we probably can get only a couple more done before the end of this episode, and then we'll be back next week to continue on with uh, more. We're probably going to do this for a couple more weeks because we got a lot of questions. And what we're finding is that, you know, these are great topics of discussion and we can go on forever and ever. So um, let's go. Let, let's see what the next question is. What are quarterly estimated tax payments and how do they work? You want to grab that? Yeah, sure. 
Um, so quarterly estimated tax payments are essentially the government coming and saying, we want you to have enough money into the system. Um, and if you don't have enough money into the system to cover your taxes, uh, you're going to be hit with an under, under withholding penalty. Um, so for instance, if in a, in a quarter, let's say the first quarter, I do a giant Roth IRA conversion that is going to be taxable to me at the end of the year. Well, the IRS, instead of saying you can wait until April 15th of the following year to pay those taxes, we want you to make sure that you have at least 110% of prior year's income into the system or 90% of the current year's income into the system. Taxes. Taxes. Yeah. And it's, you know, based on the numbers, you can configure which is going to be more advantageous for you to meet. Um, but you're going to have to have that into the, into the tax system in order to not get penalized. And like we always tell our clients, uh, penalties are, are what we refer to as, you know, why pay that? Right. You know, we, big, we refer to it as a stupid, stupid money. <laughs> I mean, you know you're going to be paying the stinking government anyway. You know, why are you going to pay them a 5% penalty and interest? Now, it's interesting about quarterly estimated payments. Um, I, I've heard different... Uh, opinions from different CPAs mm -hmm. and what I encourage people to do uh, is to check with their CPA after all their accountant or tax preparer is the one who's actually um, uh, uh, signing their tax return but in the case that you just used if a person does a giant Roth IRA conversion in the beginning of the year and just to make the numbers easy let's assume that their tax estimate would have needed to be forty thousand dollars there are some accountants who will say you need to make that $40,000 quarterly estimated payment in the quarter that you incurred the tax liability. But I've actually seen, and I think that's the way the rule states, but I've also seen other CPAs say it's okay to make them evenly across the year as $10,000 quarterly estimated payments. And the quarterly estimated payments are for Q1, quarter one, is April 15th. And this is kind of stupid, by the way. The next one's June. Why June, not July? Okay. Then September. Why September, not October? And then January. So you know, you, it enables you to spread them. But, you know, Ryan brought up an interesting point. You either need to get into the system 90% of this year's tax or 110% of last year's tax. I had a client who had a giant capital gain from the sale of the business. And his tax was over $2 million as a result of it. Well, if we went with 90% of this year's tax, he would have owed $1.8 million immediately. And this was in February. Mm -hmm. He would have owed $1.8 million by that April. And I said, but wait, time out. Why don't you look at last year's tax? Last year's tax, if he got 110% in, he only had to put $100,000 in. Yep. Mm -hmm. So what we did, even though you know, we all know we had 14 months to invest that money, but the fact of the matter is I would rather invest the money and him make it than give it to the government a year in advance. Yes. Hopefully yes. nobody from the government is watching. <laughs> but that's okay. I mean, it's legit. And, you know, fact of the matter is at the end of the day, we always say allow the work within the guidelines of the rules but don't let the rules push you around. 
Okay, and so anything else to talk about with quarterly estimated payments? I mean, that's, that's oftentimes you see that for those things or you'll see it for business owners. Mm -hmm. Like if I, I own my business and all of my money is coming in as income from sources, well, at the end of the year, if once again, using the $40,000 tax estimate again, they don't want me to wait until the next year to pay them 40 grand. What I'm gonna be doing is making quarterly estimated payments along the way so that my tax liability at the end of the year is being paid throughout the year. Understandably so, the government wants their money. And it's right. no different than somebody who's getting a paycheck and having their money withheld along the way. And specifically where I find this being questioned a lot is when people are in the retirement phase and they're getting social security or pension or they're taking IRA distributions, what have you, they're saying, look, some people want to pay the taxes right up front. I don't want to deal with it in April. Some people are like, I'm not giving the government my money. If I right. have to, I'll make it work for me. Absolutely. Well, you can't withhold nothing. I mean, right. you know, you got to give them something. It would be really nice if the government could just take all their pay at the I end know. of the day. Oh, but yeah, you know it what? just doesn't work like that. And that's the purpose of these quarterly estimated payments. Right. Um, well, I'll tell you what, we're getting close to the end of the episode. Why don't we talk a little bit more about this one because we're not going to get another question. Sure. So um, I just lost my train of thought, but what you were just referencing um, there are people who use the tax system for a forced savings program. Okay. Now yeah. I have people say, Mike, I like to use my refund for my tax return as my vacation fund, or I save that to make my payment for my property taxes. In the old days, and I will tell you, 95% of your accountants will say, don't give the money to the government when you can earn money on your money. Well, fact of the matter is, is that number one, as we talked about, you know, and we preach, time is your single largest component of risk. And if I'm saving money during the course of the year for a short-term time horizon, I don't want to put it at risk. So what do you use? You use savings. In today's day and age, the interest rates are next best thing to nothing. Mm -hmm. So you're really not gaining anything. In the old days, if you were earning 10% of your money, absolutely, you, you, you save the money yourself and at the end of the year. But I actually encourage it. Okay, and the reason why I encourage it is, you know, let's say they're, um, you know, use $5,200 tax refund. That's equivalent of $100 a week. Well, you know what that person's doing? That person is actually creating a 0% interest savings program and all they got to do is instead of that if they had their own savings program all you have to do once is dip into it it blew it out of the water so i actually encourage it mm -hmm. you know if people say i like it i'm like okay you know what nobody likes to write a check to the government at the end of the year it's all about the each individual's own psychology of it you know you see that you owe the government money in april and it makes you sick Withhold the money. You like, you know, getting a refund? Well, over withhold. You know, it's all about what, how you feel at the end of the day, really. It's in April. It as really long is. As you're not penalized. Right. Don't and take penalized silly is dumb penalties. Money. Right. Yes. That's absolutely correct. Yes. All right. So we're going to wrap up today's show. Um, I hope some of these questions were good for you as the audience. And, you know, thank you, Kyle. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, I think this is great. We enjoy doing these questions and answer episodes as well as, you know, we get to bat things around. And hopefully it triggers... Uh, thoughts in your mind. It, it's provocative as far as giving you some thinking. Um, we're here to educate and we hope that you uh, not only educate, but we try to entertain. But at the same time, I, I hope at the end of the day, 
that you learned something, and that's the purpose of this show. So thank you very much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you for the next episode, and have a great day and have a great week.